Hello and welcome to Contemplations. And today we are going to be talking about wisdom of Chinese proverbs in this rather nice edition of 80 different Chinese proverbs, funnily enough. And um, I've actually talked about these editions before. Um, I think I did the Tao Te Ching, one of these editions, this part of the series. And I think I've also got a book of five rings that's part of this series as well. Nice traditionally bound Chinese texts. And um, I'm looking forward to talking about it with you, Stelios, because uh, you're a man who's interested in wisdom. I've, yes. I've, I've heard tell. Um, Word in, fact, in the street was... is I am. Yeah. Um, so I imagine that you'll be interested in this particularly. So what aspects of wisdom are you hoping to get out of, out of today? Well, any, because basically I want to understand what wisdom is. Uh -huh. And I uh, want to understand what uh, wisdom is in the minds of uh, different thinkers and different cultures. And it's interesting to see that uh, there are all sorts of wisdom traditions and wisdom literatures and cultures. And they have surprising degree of similarity between them. You're going to see that today as well, I think. Yes. Because um, we're going to be going through and I'm just going to be reading from this, and then we're going to be analyzing them, breaking them down, and comparing yeah. them to Western um, sort of proverbs and, and wisdom, if you will. And there is certainly a lot of overlap, and many of these are sort of ancient Chinese as well. But I suppose I may as well give you a little word on what Chinese proverbs actually are. You may think, hang on a minute, I know what a proverb is. So a Chinese proverb is just a proverb from China, right? Wrong. Um, it's actually um, a very standardized format. They're known as Qing Yu. Um, and the literal translation, translation of that term is become a saying, meaning a set phrase. And by uh, a set phrase, they mean um, it's made up of four um, Chinese characters, many of them traditional Chinese. And so they're, they're not necessarily the modern kind. And so they're four Hanzi, as they're known, characters. Now, I'll, I'll show you briefly, just so you know what I mean. So on each of the page, they've got four characters here, and those are the, the four words, if you will, that make up the phrase. Whereas in the West, if you've got a proverb, it doesn't necessarily have any standardization. I want to ask you something, because uh, I don't know Chinese uh, ideograms, mm -hmm. and they look very complex to me, but I've heard uh, also the opposite from people who start uh, reading them. They tell me that uh, basically they, there is an internal logic in them. Yeah. And um, ironically, I've heard the Western languages as being more abstract than Chinese languages because there is no depiction of something or representation of something, no painting in a sentence in, let's say, yeah. our language, our languages. Whereas in Chinese language, there is there are lots of symbols that show something. Yeah. So. The Chinese written language represents meaning rather than a phonetic sound. Yeah. And that's the difference between our written language and theirs, is that um, these characters represent um, a, a meaning, a concept, an object sometimes. And that can also have connotations that um, can't really be captured in English. And this book does a very good job of explaining the translations of it because some of the translations are a bit counterintuitive, and you're just like, what on earth does that mean? Yeah. But then you, you look at the cultural um, um, meaning attached to certain words or concepts and, and objects, and all of a sudden it makes sense. And I think that 
because the, the character system is so conceptual, it does lend itself quite well to a certain amount of poetry. There's, there's sort of um, terms and terms of phrases that you'd get in the Tao Te Ching as well, where it would be sort of, there would be a double meaning to certain terms and that there would be a certain amount of ambiguity that adds to how sort of artsy and meaningful it could be. And you don't necessarily get that in English. A word means a set thing. It's got a de definition. It doesn't have necessarily an association of concepts that might not necessarily be intuitive. It's that the characters that are interpreted through a lens of Chinese culture, and that's something that has to be translated, which is what we're going to be doing. So thankfully, um, through the power of a translator who's explained everything, we can actually talk about it. Who but, is um, the translator? Um, I forgot his name. He's, uh, is it Thomas Cleary? Uh, James Trapp, okay. he's called. There you go. But he's translated um, lots of other, th other things, that, and I quite like the translations. And the fact that they're explained in here is even better because, of course, um, that kind of shows that there is comprehension. It's not just putting it into Google Translate, as you sometimes can get, by the way, if you get uh, Western translations of Eastern texts, or there'll be really weird terms. I even found it in some Penguin translations, which tend to be quite good, actually, um, for Eastern literature. So, um, yeah, I, I do support these books, even though they're not in any way uh, monetarily affiliated with me. They do sit in my library, and I like them. Um, it's also worth mentioning as well that the Cheng Yu, these proverbs, um, reference historic Chinese um, figures, history more generally, literature, um, which would be easily understood for you know, the Chinese. It'd be like um, referencing, say, King Arthur or the Crusades or something like that. These are key events in Chinese history that have equivalents in the West. Um, I'm trying to think of another equivalent to Greece. Like, um, the Iliad, yes. right? you know, there, there would be references to it in, in Greek literature, I imagine, yes. or homages to it or allusions. It's also like myth. Yeah. It's, for instance, exactly. in um, just one quick example I can think of is in Plato's Protagoras, which is one of the dialogues uh, that are in the beginning of the middle phase mm -hmm. or between the early and middle phase of Plato. He is uh, talking about the myth of uh, Prometheus. That's a, a very good example. So, and also, for instance, in ancient Greek tragedies, a lot of the times, or most of the times, the audience knew what was going to happen because uh, they, they knew the myth that the tragedians were dealing with. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, as you're saying, that, and that is really interesting about uh, cultures before the invention of the book is that they are sort of building on top of each other because they're trying to sustain a kind of identity. Well, it's word of mouth at that point, isn't it? And so yes. you would get all of these stories passed down through perhaps even you know, hundreds, if not thousands of generations, maybe, yes. in some cases. And these oral traditions sometimes can be surprisingly intact from their original inception, which I always find impressive. Yes, like There are some ancient Chinese traditions, which I'm not going to get into today, but they, they've had like the concept of the dragon for up to like 5,000, 6,000 years in China. Okay. And that's, if anything, strengthened over time, and, which I find interesting. But there are lots of other things as well. It's also worth men mentioning as well, there are about 5,000 Cheng Yu 
in the Chinese language. We're only going to be going through 80, the most common and important ones, I suppose. Um, but some dictionaries even list up to 20,000. So there are lots and lots of proverbs, but by the same token, there are probably loads and loads in Britain, right? And, you know, the size comparison of the countries, you know, China got a population of a billion, Britain not so much. And um, it, it just goes to show that people are preoccupied throughout history with preserving wisdom in a certain sense. Yes. In that the formalization of these, these proverbs seems to indicate that there's a very deliberate effort um, within a culture to say, okay, this, this is wise, this is um, something that is true. We want to have these four characters and this represents this truth, if you will. Yes. And I think that this, um, this often manifests in advice because wisdom literature and wisdom culture is primarily didactic. Uh, I think up until the emergence of philosophy, most wisdom literature was didactic. You have the experienced person teaching the inexperienced in everything. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be just uh, skills for how to plow a field and how to be a farmer. Like in Hesiod, is lecturing his brother how to be a good farmer. <laughs> you have all sorts of advice that people give in all sorts of contexts. Some of are uh, um, in the personal context, like the context of personal wisdom, like how to live your life. Mm. Think of, you know, clean your room and stand up with shoulders straight right well, now. It's, it's the a same. It's good, good example it's, of. Yeah, and this, this is things. exactly where it is and how it has always been. Mm -hmm. and how wisdom is being transmitted into advice, because you could say that to the, to the extent that we are trying to make others learn something, we are trying to impart wisdom to them, or at least what we think is right. Absolutely. So one final thing that's worth mentioning, many of these are historic, but some, there are some that have significance from the, say, 20th century. And an example of that is um, there's one proverb called one corner of an ice mountain, which comes from uh, the tip of an iceberg, which is one of you know, our proverbs, if you will, as if to say, you know, the thing you see is only a small portion of the greater whole. And um, you can see the, the curious um, effect of the translation there, one tip of an ice mountain. You know, calling an iceberg an ice mountain is, you know, it's kind of a quaint translation, if you will. But that goes to show that was recent as well. So the translation between ancient Chinese proverbs into modern Chinese or, you know, and then into English, or directly from the ancient Chinese into English. You know, there's, there's going to be some meaning that's lost, but I think for a lot of these, actually, you can deduce what they mean. And I think that's part of the reason they've been included in this edition. So, you know, there's only 80 in here. We're going to be going through all of them in, in a two-part series. And that's probably why they've been included. And you know, the remaining um, 4,940 or what have you, have been excluded. So I suppose I've talked about them enough. Let's read one, shall we? So I'm going to read the literal meaning and then the idiomatic meaning and then sort of the, the context of it. So the first one is, um, sorrowing army must win. So of course, they're, they're four words and they're direct translations of 
the, the four characters here. So you can see the four characters in Chinese. I don't read any Chinese. I, you know, I know a little bit. I know Ni Hao is hello, and that's about it, really. And, and so the sort of idiomatic meaning here is justice will prevail. And this one comes from um, Lao Zi, the author of the Tao Te Ching. Um, and he is the first to express this sort of sentiment. And so the term sorrowing, <clears throat> you know, it's not necessarily... It's the, un the feeling of injustice. Yeah. That, Those that's who like, are the victims of injustice. And that's what it says here. In fact, sorrowing, which is the direct translation of the character, um, it's that one there, if you're interested, um, is um, expanded into grieving with righteous indignation over injustice. And they say, this shows just how much meaning a single character can carry. So, you know, if you took it at face value, sorrowing, it might not be particularly profound. But knowing that it carries that weight, that, you know, people who are furious with injustice are more likely to prevail. People who have a righteous cause are more likely to prevail. Well, then the, the moral content of the proverb is a lot clearer, isn't it? It's that um, if you have a just cause, you're more willing to put your all into something because you feel that you are right. If you're doing something that you feel is wrong, you're less likely to have as much invested in it, and therefore it's more likely to fail. And that, that is perfectly wise as far as I'm concerned. It seems almost obvious. I think there is also an ambiguity, a hidden ambiguity in Proverbs because, you know, statements that could be interpreted in all sorts of ways. So, for instance, what you described there seems to me to resemble the idea that the universe is fundamentally just mm -hmm. and that even if there are things that seem to be unjust, they are ultimately unjust only from our perspective and we should revolutionize our perspective or even if things are unjust they are ultimately won by a higher providence that mm -hmm. is just i did pick so, that up but i thought that it could also be sort of understood as just to say um you know in terms of the motivation of an individual with a just cause is more likely to to prevail than yeah, who isn't okay, right? yeah. And that's all you to need do to with have human a, motivation. Yeah. So uh, I, uh, in okay. typical fashion, I interpreted it like a psychologist. Okay. I mean, who'd have thought, eh? Funny things. So let's move on to the next one, shall we? Um, do stop me if you have more to say as well. Um, I'm not trying to power through them too quickly. Ban's door, use axe. Now this one is one of those ones where... Um, is this, does it have to do with fag life, with destroying doors or something? It does have to do with destroying doors. But the idiomatic meaning is teach your grandmother to suck eggs. Which, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is one of those cases where there is uh, a historic context which a Chinese person would be able to pick up on, but a Westerner might not. So Lu Ban, um, as it says here, was a semi-legendary craftsman who was highly skilled with an axe. This Cheng Yu was first used to describe aspiring poet who once visited the tomb of the great Tang Dynasty poet Li Bai, um, I think born in 701 and died in 762, and left an inscription of their own poems on the rock around it. The Ming scholar Mi uh, Ji Huan said it was like showing off with an axe outside Lu Ban's door. This saying can either 
be used to criticize someone else's actions or to politely belittle one's own efforts in comparison to another. So basically, the poet went to an esteemed poet's grave and wrote their own poems, and they weren't very good. And it's, it, it's a, um, that's the example he's given to contextualize this one. And so Ban was a legendary craftsman, uh, Lu Ban. And if you're showing off with an axe, you're not going to impress him because he's better. And there's a sort of um, clear message of humility here, isn't there? It's to say there's going to be someone better than you, so don't show off. Especially don't show off to people who are better than you at something. And to be humble, not to write poems at an esteemed poet's grave because you're just trying to latch onto their esteem rather than earn it for yourself. This seems like a condemnation of pride. It is. Because you could extent. say that yeah. you know, pride makes you think you're infallible and uh, pride also breeds the illusion of omnipotence. And when you're proud, you think that you're basically not under threat. Mm -hmm. And it cometh before the fall as yeah. well. It's uh, one of the major deadly sin in Christianity, and I think there's a good reason for that. It took me a long time, actually. And not only in Christianity. Of course, yeah. And uh, it took me a long time, actually, to, to think, why is pride bad? Because it's not, you know, sloth, envy, yeah. greed. Yeah. You know, all of these things make intuitive sense. But then I'm just like, but, you know, being proud of your own actions can sometimes be good, right? And then I realized, oh, right, it's, it's in excess, right? I, I think the excess bit is very important because on the other hand, I completely dislike the idea that, you know, we're totally worthless and anything good that happens to us happens because of good luck. And I don't believe in luck in the first I, place. There's I no think, such thing. I think that um, basically telling, telling ourselves that, you know, we did good when we actually did good is a good thing. It's not being proud. But well, uh, when I, we start, when we think that basically we're infallible, that we cannot be do wrong, that mm -hmm. you know we, we we're not under threat, that anything we do is by definition right because we do it, we do it, or anything we think is right because we think it, I think that's uh, that's a, a very big problem because it completely sabotages all self improvement, all impetus. It does, yeah. Well, it, it says that I know everything. I'm perfect. Yeah. Um, I don't need to change. And no one ever reaches that point. And yeah. you can always improve. Um, it might just be beyond your awareness how you can improve. And I think that that's also a sort of sentiment trapped in there, isn't it? Let's have a look at another one, shall we? So, half road, then stop. Again, it, it sounds like it's translated into broken English, but it's um, uh, basically... Take a break. Huh? Take a break. Not quite. It's, um, <laughs> the idiotic meanings are you give up too easily, leave something half done, or if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well, or doing right would be the way I would say it. Um, so there is an equivalent here. And apparently this, apparently, I'm saying apparently a lot here. I'm like that, that kid at the fair that got interviewed. I'm referencing a meme, sorry. Um, and they say, this comes from a parable told by a grandson of Confucius, um, the philosopher ZC, um, born in 481 and died in 402, so that's going to be BC. Um, in this book, The Doctrine of the Mean, a man went off to the city to study, but decided it was too difficult and came home after only a year. His wife was very cross with him. She had been weaving a piece of fine cloth for many months, and on her husband's return, she cut it into pieces. He asked her why she had wasted so many months' work. She replied that it was just the same as him giving up his studies halfway through. 
If something is worth doing, you must be prepared to spend time on it. I mean, the sentiment there is pretty obvious, isn't it? That you don't get good at something by giving up easily. Yeah, there is a significant amount of uh, habituation that goes on in excellence. Mm -hmm. And uh, Oh, don't I know it? Yeah, I'm joking. That would be prideful, wouldn't it? I wouldn't do that. Yeah. And we we have a saying that um, goods are conquered with toil, and I think it it's something it's similar to its meaning. I think that you have to work really hard to achieve something, and that thing be a, a lasting good for your life. I think it's all about how. Otherwise, we, it's like a castle in sand. Mm, yeah, sort of thing. I think it's about how we process value, isn't it? If if something is difficult for us to do then it's more valuable because there's more effort expended in achieving it is because value ultimately is the, the scarcity of something. And if, you, if it's difficult, then it means that it's probably going to be more scarce in the world than something easy. Like it's harder to climb a mountain than it is to have a drink of water. So it makes sense that um, it's more of an achievement. It's more valuable to climb a mountain than to have a sip of water. Um, and, and if you're looking for purely in terms of achievement, if you're dehydrated, obviously the water is more important than climbing a mountain. But I'm I'm going to stop looking at these sorts of things literally. We're all in proverbial senses now. So the next one is glass bow snake image. So please, could you say more or elaborate? So to to start at a shadow is the idiomatic meaning, or always be looking over your shoulder, yeah. and. It says here, this is one of those Cheng Yu that is completely incomprehensible until it is explained. <laughs> you don't say. A man hadn't seen one of his friends for some time and heard from another acquaintance that the friend was too scared to return after his last visit. Apparently he had seen a reflection of a snake in a cup of wine he had been drinking and was afraid the snake might still be there. After some thought, the man realized that the reflection of a bow hanging on his wall might have caught on the surface of the wine and looked like a snake. So he immediately reassured his friend. So it it has a sort of almost fable-like quality to it. You can imagine Aesop talking about a man who thought he saw a snake in a cup, but actually it was a reflection, and that he got caught up in his emotions. You know, his initial emotional reaction stopped him from being rational in a more long-term sense. Yeah. That's kind of the impression I'm getting from this one. What, what do you think about no, it? No, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah. So yeah, it's... It, it could have been expressed in a more concise way in English, but I suppose the four terms are simple enough in, in the Chinese that people will know what fable it's referring to. It might yeah. be like the equivalent of, um, you could say, it's like slow and steady wins the race. It calls to mind Aesop's fable of the tortoise and the hare, doesn't it? So you think, hang on a minute, it's a race. But you're going slowly. How can it win? But it's it's about the, the moral. Of, obviously, is doing something right, isn't it? Yes. You do something well, do it right. It, it reminds me of the basics in everything. And I remember that, for instance, in martial arts, there are lots of people who start martial arts, and you know, we want to say, okay, I want to learn everything. I want to learn all the kicks right now. But you need to perfect the basics first to do all the moves well. Yes, yeah, you've got to work on the fundamentals i know when i did boxing just getting the left jab right yeah. was like all i focused on for ages yeah and getting the feet right and getting everything right and, you know i only did 
um, one twos for you know the first few months of boxing before I even moved on to other punches and, and throwing you know the other eight well it was eight in total but the other six into my sort of combinations yeah and there's obviously a lot of wisdom there because that's how human beings progress in terms of skill we get a really solid foundation in something and then slowly progress in complexity yeah and you know sometimes it can be a snowball effect and you get better and better quicker and quicker sometimes it can be diminishing returns depending on the domain in question, I suppose. So the next one is forced to climb Mount Liang, which is uh, the idiomatic meaning is necessity is the mother of invention. Take the only possible course of action or be driven to extremes. It says here, the marshes around Mount Liang in the Shandong province, north of China, are renowned for being the home of the bandits and outlaws made famous in the great Chinese novel Chiu Hu Zihong, there you go. I'm uh, not bad. Um, novel best known in English as The Water Margin, which eventually I'm going to be reading. Um, it's one of the, the four great novels of Chinese literature. I've read The Three Kingdoms already, which is fantastic, by the way. I need to talk about that at some point. Um, which was written in the 14th century, and it tells the story of 108 heroes forced into hiding and exile by the injustice of local government under the Song Dynasty of 960 to 1279. The heroes are the Chinese equivalent of Robin Hood and his Merry Men. Some of the characters are the most popular in Chinese literature. So there you go. That's one that would be quite difficult. So basically they're, they're driven up to, to hide in this mountain known for banditry. And obviously it's, it's because of injustice, because of hardship. And it's the only thing they could have done. And that's more or less to say that, you know, you've got to do this thing to survive, to do well. Yes. That's my understanding of the phrase. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.